Hello, listeners, and welcome to a very special, very rushed Cavs Panic Trade of the Deadline edition of the Pulp Diction Podcast. Um, when a professional does a, you know, rushed podcast, they rush over to their podcast booth with their professional producers and, you know, do a podcast that they maybe took half an hour of notes for. When I do a rush podcast, I'm sitting in the homies Trevor and Jacob's living room, calling Nick on the phone and holding up the phone to my recorder. <laughs> but I <laughs> I felt a strong need to comment on on this this trade. Um, Nick, how are you? Let's start there. I'm great, Zach. I'm fantastic. Um, excellent. My phone picked now is the time to get spammed, so that's hilarious. Um, but let's let's roll with it. So, I was I was hanging out with my grandmother actually during the trade deadline. I was we were watching a movie, and I just I'm on Twitter. I'm like, ah, it's gonna be a boring deadline. It's gonna be a boring deadline. And then, bam! Just like the Cavs trades just start popping in one after another, just woge bomb after woge bomb. And I'm all rattled. I'm about to post, like, that article I wrote, which y'all should go check out about Steph and LeBron as the NBA's David and Goliath. I'm about to post that. I have to go change that because I talked about how bad LeBron's supporting cast was in it. And then I'm kind of sitting down trying to figure out everything that happened. Um, and I still don't really have very defined emotions on the trades. Nick, let's hear from you first. What, I guess, as a whole, let's think about it holistically. Do you like, on the whole, what the Cavs did at the deadline? Um, you know, I'm, I'm really of two minds, honestly. On, on the one hand, I, me personally, I would so much rather play with George Hill, Rodney Hood, um, Clarkson, and Nance than, you know, the list, the long list of bumps that they sent out of town, um, and it, and it, it, it kind of hurts my heart to, like, call Isaiah Thomas, D-Wade, and D-Rose bums because I, I like them all, um, you know, for different reasons and across their different careers. But, like, there are bums at this point, and it's, and it's sad that they are. I think it's fair. So, like, so like you know, I would so much rather play with who they have now than who they had yesterday or two days ago now. But... At the same time, like, with the money situation for some of these different guys, with, like, just the, I don't know, like, I've never watched any of those four guys play and say to myself, you know, that guy could be a real piece of a championship team right there. So, like, at the same time, it feels like just a very big step sideways. So, you know... Yes, they. I think that they are better, and and in a you know and have a more realistic to get to the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe you know even the NBA Finals. However, I don't feel like it actually moves the needle that that much, and uh, I don't think that that particularly sets them up to be a compelling place for LeBron to stay. So and I don't think that it either helps them win a title now or win a title next year. So I agree with you. I mean, if you look at just what they did in this very deadline, 
what they gave up and what they got, I think on the whole, it's a very nice deadline for the Cavs. They turned Isaiah Thomas's corpse, Channing Fry, washed Eric Rose, Jay Crowder, and washed Dwayne Wade into Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance Jr., George Hill, Rodney Hood, um, and that's it. Uh, like, they have better players on the team for games that are happening right now if everyone's healthy, which is a win. Um, they sent out a first-round pick to do it, but, and, you know, maybe whereas they had a couple of expirings, now they have a couple deals that run longer. They're on the hook for Clarkson for another two years probably after this. Um, George Hill's deal goes another two years after this, although um, in that last year the deal, they can they can basically cut him and get away from it. So, you know, they picked up some long-term money, but, you know, they also get the rights to someone like Nance and someone like Rodney Hood, who are going to be restricted free agents, and, you know, that gives them some flexibility. I've been saying, you know, the entire time they need to only think about the precious window they have open with LeBron and not next year, but in the event he's like, fuck you, I'm out, then they can go match any offers Nance and, and Hood get in free agency. If LeBron's like, I want to stay and I want this, this, and this, they can say, hey, guys, you know, if you sign something big, we're not matching. So, like, if you just think about the pat, like, that day, I think they had a good day. What's really bad about the trades for the Cavs, though, is that they, like, when they made the Kyrie trade, all the stories that have come out say that Gilbert was most excited about the Brooklyn pick, which is very frustrating for a number of reasons. But, you know, when you have LeBron and your window is open and he's only there for one more year and you're committing, you're saying you're committed to being all in for that year, you turned the only other, like, awesome player on the team into nothing, basically. You turned him into Isaiah Thomas and Crowder, thinking that Isaiah Thomas would play, you know, basically at the level he had been at last year once he got back to being healthy. And, you know, by seeing him play that badly, I mean, we were all shitting on them for it, but at least there was, like, this shred of hope that IT could, like, get his legs under him and be 85% of what he was last year. And last year he was playing at least offensively. I mean, defensively, he's horrific. But last year, he was giving you so much offensively. Um, That shred of hope is now gone because he's on the Lakers. And he is now Jordan Clarkson, who, you know, for all the compliments I just gave the Cavs for an office, the people they picked up are a guy who couldn't start for a lottery team, another guy who's been in and out of the starting lineup for a lottery team, um, George Hill, who... Everyone's like, oh, league leading 45% from three, but he's been on the Kings, and I think he's been pretty diligently hunting shots to get that percentage up. And Rodney Hood, who the Jazz, a very smart organization, were willing to flip for basically Jay Crowder um, on a cost-controlled contract. So, like, to me what these deals say that's awful for the Cavs organization is that they bungled the Kyrie situation because they... In the last year of LeBron, they turned Kyrie into basically nothing. Into Rodney Hood. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, they turned, they turned Kyrie 
for this year alone, they turned Kyrie, yeah, into Rodney Hood, Clarkson, and Nance, but they also had to give up a bunch of stuff. I, and like, this, is, this is sort of what I was saying, like, the, like, the part that I'm more pessimistic about is that, like, Clarkson and Hill are serious cap hits that are going to completely handcuff the Cavs in trying to do something big, um, you know, during the draft. So, like, let's say they, they want to move with, with the potential to get somebody big, you know, I don't even know who that would be. I can't think of a superstar who, like, who would move, like, you're kind of thinking of, like, a Jimmy Butler situation, where they're giving you the, like, seventh pick or something for, like, the 28th pick and a superstar. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this is... I, I, can't, I can't envision who that would be, first of all, and then you're in this really, really fucked up cap situation where you're paying LeBron the max, whoever you're bringing in the max, and then these massive deals to Hill and Clarkson, and then, oh, and let's not forget Kevin Love, like, you know, it's just, it's a, it's, it's too much money for even Dan Gilbert, and like, yeah, I just, I, I don't see what the, what the long-term strategy is there. Now, if you're, I think that this move makes some sense if LeBron leaves, and you basically need to get to the salary floor, because like, if, if LeBron leaves, then you can also send Kevin Love out for assets um, and kind of rebuild like that and just have George Hill and Rodney Hood, um, you know, kind of like in Sacramento Kings East as, you, as you're as you trying to reacquire assets, which isn't, you know, that's not fair. But it's, you know, it, it's doable and livable, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's a bummer because, I mean, you're right that they, you know, they're a little better positioned if they so choose to, like, try and rebuild. Like, they would have the blueprints here, right? You have Rodney Hood as a young guy you can check out. Same with Clarkson. Same with Nance. Um, you, I mean, you're still saddled with some bad contracts, but you'd get this year's Brooklyn pick, and then you'd be awful next year after you flip Love. And you'd get another good pick next year, and at that point, with with all those and what you got from Love, you know you're you're kind of back in it. Do they do they have their um, twenty twenty pick? They, I think they have to because they were able to send out this year's first. Um. So, but one thing I wanted to bring up, and like, yeah, LeBron hates Gilbert, but honestly, I think. An even bigger impediment to LeBron staying than that is the fact that they're capped out to hell. I mean, yeah, they like they ducked. You know, Shumpert's deal sucked. Um, they sent out, but but this is what I'm this is what I'm trying to say is the fact that this is what I'm trying to say. If you'd quiet down, is the fact that they Sorry. still have Jr.'s abominable contract and Tristan's abominable contract just clogging their cap space. Like, you you can't sign anyone greater than the mid-level exception, which is like $8 million. That's the highest contract you can sign of someone not on your own team that you don't have the rights to if you're over the cap. So the Cavs, like, literally couldn't add a good player. Their only avenue to getting another star next to LeBron next year would be to sign and trade. They'd have to trade their horrendous assets to... 
to get, you know, to get that big guy back. They'd have to be something like Tristan Jr. and like 30% of the Cavs for Paul George. Like, like there's really no way to sweeten that shit deal for it. It's like, oh, I give up my star and I get two awful contracts. It's, they're fucked. But the, they're fucked. But there's something I really wanted to say. we didn't talk about yet i think that's a sign that this situation was just fucked i mean they had to they really had to change at the locker room because it was just toxic especially with it um but to me that was like lebron putting his his friend on the lifeboat (laughs) but i mean like i'll defend what they did today and we can go through some of the lineups they can roll out. There's some interesting stuff. I still think LeBron has a real chance to come out of the East with this team. Um, but, I mean, this all comes back to that botched three-team trade they tried to do this summer. I mean, basically what happened was, and LeBron was definitely involved in this, they, they tried to whack Kyrie and Kevin Love over the summer after the finals. They tried to whack them. They were going to send Kyrie to Phoenix. LeBron put a hit out on Kyrie's career. He was going to ship him off to Phoenix for Bledsoe and, and Love out to Denver, and they were going to get, you know, Paul George. And, or Love to Indiana. And basically, Gilbert, Gilbert and LeBron kind of orchestrate this with David Griffin. They're going to do this three-team deal. Like, it's like David Griffin was the hitman, and then Gilbert didn't show up with the money. Like, they, they stiffed the hitman... <laughs> <laughs> Griffin leaves the three-teamer falls through Kyrie's like fuck you you're just sending me to Phoenix fine I'll demand a trade Kevin Love's just like at this point just it's so sad he's he's been in like a bad relationship for four years and he's codependent like he doesn't know like the, the Minnesota years are such a distant memory he's like well maybe I should just stand in the corner and shoot threes and eat 14 almonds and get yelled at <laughs> it's just, he's just like it's just the most pathetic situation and this is all stemming from that they botched the hit Kyrie dips and now you have I mean who's the second best player with love out is it Rodney Hood yeah I mean it's pretty dark <laughs> it's like this is really dark this is some like 2010 Cavs 07 Cavs shit 
And their team got better. I literally think their team yeah. is better than it was yesterday. Yeah. Or two days it's ago, still, whenever it was. Still shitty. I mean, yeah, it's still awful. Um, do you want to talk? Do you want to talk about this trade for the other t- three teams that were involved, or do you want to talk Cavs lineups first? Um, we can stay with the Cavs. Although I have one, I have one response to your. Um, to your to your failed hit shot metaphor. Yeah. And I think you I think you probably know what it is. What? Take the cannoli. Take <laughs> the gun. It's it's like that point in it it's such a good reference because for those of you who've seen The Godfather, they they try and assassinate Vito, spoiler alert, came out in the seventies. They try and assassinate the Don and they miss their hit. And, like, Michael goes to meet with them, and he's eventually going to kill them, so, you know, whatever that means in this metaphor. But the guy's like, look, I put the hit out, I missed. It's like, I'm the one who's in danger now. And that's basically what happened, is Gilbert and LeBron had this orchestrated. I, You know, I think LeBron probably gave them some advice to the effect of, after last year's finals, hey, this, you know, this isn't working with this team. we got to go get some other people. They had an angle for Paul George and Eric Bledsoe. I'm, I've been so impressed by Paul George this year. I, I think him oh and LeBron God. is enough so to go to the finals in the East. So, I mean, good, good idea to try and swing this deal. And the details haven't come out exactly why it fell through, but it's, it was far enough along where all three sides were good with it, and it was, like, stuff on the edges. And then the Cavs fired their GM. Um... But anyway, uh, yeah, it's, I think LeBron, I mean, saying it's LeBron's fault that Kyrie left, it's true, but at the same time, a competent organization should be able to execute that trade and not fire their GM in the middle of it, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, like, LeBron ends up looking shitty, but it's like, hey, dude, like, we had this deal worked out like how hard is it to actually get this shit done like couldn't couldn't 24 other gms have done this like why is the best player of the last 20 years on one of the worst organizations of the last 20 years like just doesn't make any sense um very sad anyway there's some cool lineups they can do i was playing around with it so with love out i think the starting lineup is george hill J.R. smith Rodney Hood, LeBron, Tristan Thompson, right? Yeah. And then you'd bring in Corver. You bring in Corver, Clarkson, uh, Nance off the bench, and then you know Jeff Green and Chetty Osmond are the ninth and tenth men. Um, I want to see Zizic get more time. I, I think he's a stiff. I mean, I think I think that. I mean, maybe, but like. He, he can't be that much worse than Tristan Thompson. <laughs> Tristan's been so bad. He might have to move closer to his, his Kardashians. Like, like, dude, Tristan is awful. And, Can like, and he's, and he's just one of those guys where it's like, he, and, I, and I, I, I sympathize with him because, you know, when, I, when my shot's not falling in my pickup basketball, I can only do what he does too, which is, you know, layups and rebounds and, you know, hopefully set a good pick and make a smart pass. But, like, you know, at the same time, 
if you're not even able to do that, then, like, get the fuck off the court. So, I kind of feel like with Zizic, like, okay, if he can't shoot, you know, that's worth finding out. Because if he he can give you some confident play for a few minutes, at least that'll give you sort of, like, a little indication of, like, you know, okay, yeah, maybe down the line we should do this, that, and the other. But even this year, like, it would be helpful to know, like, that you've got a decent piece on the bench and also maybe slash light a fire under Tristan's ass. Yeah, I mean, I think I think between Nance and, like, either Nance will do what they needed Tristan to do or Tristan will start doing it again. In defense of Tristan Thompson, when they won the finals over the Warriors, I felt like he was their third most important player behind Kyrie and LeBron. Because Tristan played, you know, like 35 minutes, was single-handedly punishing the Warriors for being undersized in the offensive glass, and defensively was switching on to Curry and hanging. Like, they would, they would, he would switch the Curry pick and roll, and, guard, and like, they were not able to toast him. Like, it was, like, decent defense on Curry. Um, now, Curry was 70%, and, you know, that... I think that last 30% of boost is really useful when you're trying to smoke, you know, a 6'10", 6'11", guy who's pretty quick. But, I mean, someone who can rebound like that, rim run on offense, and switch onto the perimeter on defense is worth what they gave him. The problem is that he's, he's a guy whose value is entirely, like, effort and physicality. Like, there's no skill to his game. So... So if his effort wanes or he's hurt, yeah, he's like 6'10". So no, like, he's, he's not even 6'10". I think he's literally like, like I think they list him at 6'9", but he's like actually LeBron height. Yeah, so like this, this is this thing though. is like if you're that guy and you're not going to play hard or you're hurt and you can't play hard, like all your value is gone. All of it. Yeah. Like imagine if Draymond Green mailed in a game. It's like, what is he doing then? You know what I mean? Yeah. So... I mean, They're cussing out reps and getting checks, you know. I, that's, that's I don't know what to. Better. I don't know what to expect from Clarkson and and Nance. That Lakers team. So Luke Walton gets, I think, more credit than he's earned to this point. If I had to plant my flag on one side or the other of that, because there's there's a lot of guys I like on that team, and I don't feel like anyone really knew their role or what they were supposed to be doing. Um. And I feel like these guys both have useful NBA skills. Clarkson, I'm, I'm much less hot on because he's a guy who can't defend or shoot threes, who's a guard, which I always hate. Um, but, you know, Nance is someone plays really hard, sets good screens, rim runs, quick on his feet. I think LeBron's going to, you know, make him look really, really good. Um, and there's, I mean... I would be fine with starting Nance at center next to LeBron. I think lineups like Hill, Clarkson, Hood, LeBron, Nance. I really like that lineup. Um, but the one thing with this deal that I think we need to give them credit for, or the series of deals, is the guys they sent out, Crowder, Rose, Wade. None of those guys can shoot. Isaiah was so hampered, it didn't really matter, and Fry can shoot really well. But all the guys they added, Hill, Hood, um, not Clarkson, but Hill and Hood, I guess, those guys can threes. So you can run a lineup 
when love is healthy of George Hill, Kyle Korver, Rodney Hood, LeBron, and Kevin Love. And that lineup will score on par with the Rockets and Warriors. Like, that lineup is going to be one of the best offensive lineups, period, in the league, full stop. LeBron in shooting is unguardable. And between Love, Hill, Korver, and Hood, you have four guys who should hit over 40%. Hood's, he's a 39% shooter, and he'll be getting wide-open looks. Yeah, but that guy can't go cold as hell, though. That's true. But I just mean there's... What's interesting is, like, I've been watching the Jazz a little bit this season because I've been so invested in Donovan Mitchell. And, like, they're such a funny team to watch. And there's some nights where it's like, oh, my God, like, Donovan Mitchell and Rodney Hood are going to be running mates for, you know, 10 years in the NBA. And there's other nights where it's like they don't even play Rodney Hood because he, like... Maybe, like, he came out in warm-ups and, like, bricked 10 straight free throws or some bullshit like that. But there's, you know, it, it gives me a lot of pause, this guy. And also, like, having watched him at Duke, like, he he has always struck me as the kind of guy who, like, like I would love to have him as, like, a six or seven man who could be hot. Um, but I, I really hesitate to, to think that, like, he's going to be my guy night in, night out. Yeah, can I, can I pause this real quick to go pee? Yeah, shoot. Um, should we talk... I guess we should talk um, the other teams involved in these trades. Let's talk... Let's give Isaiah Thomas a second. Because... Okay. I mean, I was really... I was shitting on him on a podcast with Ben. I shit on him on a podcast with you. I think everyone kind of started shitting on him toward the end. I mean, he was basically throwing grenades in glass houses, and not only that, he had been there for 10 games and was awful. Like, like so much of your standing and your credibility is the fact, you know, is how good you're playing, how much value you're actually adding to this organization. And he was horrible. Um, but I just feel really bad for the guy. I, it, He just seems... I just it, it's becoming more and more apparent that what he did last year was as much Stevens in situation as anything else. I mean, I think for him to be at the level he was at last year, he needs to have a great offense that's set up, you know, where he gets to hold the ball all the time. He needs a slew of really smart, rangy perimeter defenders that can hide him. And he needs to be at his absolute quickest and fastest and everything. And I don't think either of those three things are going to happen again in his career. Like, it feels like he's going to go to the Lakers. You know, he'll start till Lonzo gets back. But, I mean, he looks so bad. They might just want to shut him down at this point. Um, Just let him rehab and try and make the argument, you know, over the summer to teams like, hey, I was, you know, 55% this year. But he's going to make, like, I'd be surprised if he makes $20 million the rest of his NBA career combined. Yeah. I mean, he if he plays like this next year, he's out of the league. Yeah, probably, you, you can't honestly. be 5'8 and unathletic, and he's an incredibly athletic guy when he's healthy. He's unathletic right now because he can't move. He has no hip. Um, anyway, I feel bad for him. 
And then Fry, I think, will be a nice presence on that Laker, young Laker team. He just seems like a really good dude to have in the locker room. Um, and, you know, underrated, the Cavs shedding Richard Jefferson at the beginning of the year. I don't like Richard Jefferson, but, you know, guys like him and Fry, I feel like really kept a, a series of ridiculous personalities and situations coherent. <laughs> And yeah, kind of had a lot of, like, they have just so much value as a 12th man. Um, and I just, you know, you have to wonder. They got a lot of good character guys coming in, I think. But, um, you know, you, you have to wonder how much losing Fry is going to hurt that locker room that was already just a pile of garbage. But it seems like they sent out all the troublemakers. Yeah. I mean, Jerry, I was still there, but I, <laughs> but I, I think that, you know, but JR, like, like JR and Tristan, as bummish as they've been this year, they have the credibility of being critical players in those title teams. You know yeah. what I mean? And I'd also say it seems like it seems like JR, for what it's worth, takes his cues from LeBron. And like, I think that he he can go full locker room cancer, but I think that he knows who Daddy is and isn't isn't gonna cross him. But JR, like, I mean, I feel like the worst thing JR would do with a teammate. You know, I think in his prime, Jared might have like, you know, gotten high with Melo before a game, right? Like that's maybe the worst he'd do for your locker room. But like, or like, you know, Jr. in New York would just like be out till four in the morning. Maybe he takes like a key rookie contributor out for the, on the town. And they both show up hungover. Like he's not like in there saying our coach sucks. Like like Isaiah Thomas would say like we don't make adjustments. We used to make adjustments in previous teams I was on. <laughs> it's like he's yeah. like. I mean, That's for the record, true. Tyloo has no adjustments. <laughs> hey, I, I, I feel like I'm I'm sitting very firmly on the corner of biggest Tyloo hater on your podcast. He's awful. I think we're all sitting on to some degree, but I love that corner, and I still think it's unacceptable to be saying that about your coach. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where like everyone knows he's infinitely worse than Stevens, even the guys on the Cavs. But it doesn't help to say that, right? Like, the Warriors, the Warriors don't go up to Zaza Pachulia and say, like, dude, you are so much worse than Nikola Jokic. Like, you're terrible compared to him. Like, uh-huh. it's just unproductive, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> not everyone can be Nikola Jokic. Could you, could you imagine, though, if they did that, how funny that would be? I mean, like I'm... Constantly, it was like, Zaza, you don't think you're not DeMarcus Cousins. <laughs> I think if Zaza gave them attitude... Draymond would have no problem saying, who do you think you are, dude? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, th- I think that Draymond would be quite But well. Zaza knows his role. Zaza doesn't complain if he plays 10 minutes in a game. Like, he he knows what he's there for. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's there to, like, elbow guys in the spleen and set big screens and do that stupid through-the-legs pass to Curry that he could just hand off and be four times better and bask in the glory of his teammates. And Yeah, I hate Zaza Pachulia. <laughs> yeah. He's also something, I think, to make people feel good about, about how they look because he might be the ugliest person in the NBA. Actually, you know, maybe, maybe Bogon, but like, Zaza just has one of those like weird... Like it looks like it was carved out of Play-Doh by like a by a kid that didn't really understand what the human face looks like. 
Yeah, he does look like a kindergartner's drawing of a person. <laughs> it's like kind of horrifying. Yeah, uh, so a coworker showed me this. I laughed so hard. He like I I don't know why. He like thinks of himself as a model, I guess. And there's like a we- he has like a website. It's his own personal website. That's like him in like a bunch of different like suits and like headshots. And it's so, so funny because he looks so stupid and ugly and whatever. And just so smug in, like, his expensive suits. Oh, my God. He's, he's odious. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, all right. An so word choice. So the Lakers, the Lakers have to lose Nance, which sucks, but I feel like they had too many guys anyway. They lose, they get out of Clarkson's contract, which was bad. They get that first round pick, which will be a nice sweetener in doing whatever sign and trade they have to do to turn Dang's contract into a good player this summer. Um, Can I add add one little piece on Isaiah, which I forgot? Yeah. A little lost in where we go. I I think that Isaiah, I, I hope that he has like one more like, really good season, and I don't know if it, or maybe two, I don't know if it's going to coincide with, um, with, like, a big payday, which is when I think, like, if you set the over-under at 20 million, I would definitely take the under, um, but I feel like, you know, looking at Jason Terry as a model, like, if you're, a, uh, you know, a high-quality, smart basketball player who can shoot threes, there is a place for you, potentially, in the league. Now, if he's so slow that he can't defend at all, which is the case right now, then yeah, he's going to get washed out. I think that if he rehabs his injury, and maybe it's not this year or next year, but maybe the year after that, as like a 32-year-old with something to prove who's back in really good shape, he becomes the sixth man on a you know smart mid-level team and is able to get like 18 points a game by kind of hero-balling a second unit um, and, you know, not being a total, total loss on defense. Yeah, so... so I, I think that there is a path forward for him. <clears throat> I just don't think it's as a major contributor of a contending team. I, I agree. And I think I think a couple of things. One, I think we all failed to appreciate how bad he was at defense last year. Like, this, the fact that the Celtics... I've said this on previous pods. The fact that they instantly became the top-ranked defense in the league while playing a ton more, like, rookies. Like, it's not like they added these, like, veterans. Like, a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old are playing, like, 30 minutes a game each for them. The fact that they jumped right up to best defense in the league has to be an indictment of Isaiah Thomas's defense. And he should not have been the MVP candidate last year for that reason. I, he was probably a top-five offensive player last year behind, like, Harden, Westbrook, Curry, and Durant, and LeBron. Like, in that conversation, for sure full stop but his defense was so bad like that single-handedly has to knock him out of the mvp conversation and like even if he recovers to this like mythic like peak athleticism we're you know setting the bar at he'll still be that bad at defense so that's always just a thing with him the i agree with you i think there's totally a way for an isaiah thomas with no ego to have a very important role in important teams you're the sixth man you come in 
you're just running all those screen high screens and you're like flinging the ball at people. You're dropping 15, like you were saying, 18 a game. And you just only play when there's someone really obvious for you to go stand next to in the corner. But Isaiah Thomas, his whole career, like he's picked last in the draft. He's dropping 20 games in Sacramento and they just ship him off to Phoenix. That Phoenix team combusts. He goes to Boston. He finally plays his way out of that six-man role and into a starring role. Instantly gets traded, you know, shanked in the stomach when he played hurt for that team. His whole life path has been about not being the six-man guy and about getting paid and recognized as the star he is. I, <laughs> he's going to have a big, like, Isaiah meets reality moment where it's going to be like, hey, dude, like, your only option is going to be to be a six-man. And he'll either kind of accept that, and it's not fair, but he'll have to, like, rework back up that hill. Or, like we saw with this Cavs team, he'll take it really personally and act like a shitty teammate and have to get thrown out the door. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it might be be his destiny to, like, you know, get signed to to a big deal by somebody like Sacramento. And, um... You know, or like a like a mid level deal by somebody like Sacramento, and you know try and be the star of a you know mediocre to bad team. Um, but if Lou Williams is getting like, if Lou Williams is getting eight million a year, and that deal shouldn't be a bellwether for everyone else because Lou Williams, you know, was locking down money at his 30, absolute right. peak. What? He's over thirty too. Right? Yeah, he's like thirty one. Uh, if Lou's going to get $8 million a year, Isaiah should get, like, five. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think if that makes sense. But, like, um, I'm, just, I'm just wondering if somebody like um, the Pelicans or the Suns or, like... I mean, Pelicans are a bad example because they're capped out, but, like... Well, they, could offer, him, they could offer him the mid-level, like, eight a year. Yeah. That's a pelican move. I'm just wondering if somebody at the bottom or at the middle is going to spend higher than they should, and it'll combust into flames. I mean, I think the situation for him would be something like... I mean, even Denver, which is, like, the best team that needs a point guard, like, Isaiah would be horrible for them. He'd make their defense way worse. He'd take the ball out of Jokic and Murray's hands, and between him, Murray, Barton, like, you're going to be a dreadful defensive team. Like, he's such a tough piece. You know what I mean? Like, that Boston situation <clears throat> was perfect in many ways. Um, but, all right, let's talk. Um, I mean, we, we've hit this pretty well. Uh, my Lakers thoughts, I like what they did. They've got space for two max guys. They're, quote-unquote, very confident they can land two max guys. I think that means, if you just kind of go down the list, I think there's only three max guys available this summer, uh, George, LeBron, and Cousins. And I think George and Cousins are probably more likely to re-sign with their teams unless Paul George is just rope-a-doping the Thunder and is going to jump to the Lakers with LeBron. Yeah, George is, George is a wild card. So I, Magic said he was quote-unquote very confident. Maybe that means LeBron's like, you know, told Mav Carter to tell him, fuck this, I'm out, I'll sign with you. But like, who's he going to play with? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I really don't think that that's, that that's done at all. I don't know. He said, quote-unquote, very confident, and 
it feels like these deals were very intentional. I don't know. Oh, here's a thought. Chris Paul is an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. Yeah, but is he going to leave the Rockets? No. I mean, he shouldn't, but... I mean, he's also a... Um... That's true that he's he's unrestricted, but... I guess LeBron and Melo? <laughs> <laughs> Just full banana boat in L.A.? And, and Wade? Melo is so bad now. I... Yeah. I caught that Thunder Warriors game, and for all the grief I give Russell Westbrook, he single-handed... I mean, this is a podcast in of itself, but the energy he brought to that game, there was no chance the Thunder were losing. Like, he, he came out and basically slapped Curry, Durant, Draymond, and Clay all in the face, was just running to the rim, dropping dishes, and that... What really had me jazzed by that game, I mean, sidebar, Paul George is incredible, and I thought he was going to have a tough adjustment. He's been so good on this team. But that that defense was just swarming the Warriors. I, That's as flustered as I've seen them offensively, like, since, like, you know, when they went down 3-1. Like, they were just everywhere. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I started talking about that. No, we got on the mellow a little bit. Oh, yeah, but that, okay, yeah, full circle. Mellow turns an ankle and is out four minutes into that game. That doesn't happen with Mellow on the court. Mellow <laughs> Mello gives you no defense, and then, like, he's an excellent offensive player still, but he'll take terrible shots because he's, like, a Mellow step back, a Mellow iso. <laughs> <laughs> He has a player option for next year. Which he has to pick up. Yeah, because, like, there's no way he's going to get anywhere near, like, $25 million on the open market. Like, even like, though... He's, he's looking at, like, 8 on the open market. Yeah, like, even though only really, like, maybe 12 teams signed horrendous contracts that one summer, that glut is still, like, just sucking up. Like, if you think about all the money that can go to players in the NBA is, like, you know... A, a, like a uh, a fixed entity, right? Like it's all you know, whatever. Three hundred, no, three billion dollars, whatever, can go to players, and all those crappy contracts are just sucking up some of it. So like they may have to be traded to somewhere else, you know, whatever, whatever. There's not as much money left to like pay good players. That's why Lou Williams got eight million a year, right? So for someone like Mello, if it was that summer, he'd opt out and get thirty a year from some idiot who thought the cap was going to go to two hundred million. But this summer, like, I'd be upset if my team paid more than ten million a year to Mello. Oh, I'd be horrified. Um. So like, if he's the second max player the Lakers are talking about, that's frightening. (laughs) That that would be very very frightening. Um, what do you think about the Jazz? This is actually something that hasn't really been talked about. I'll let you hit this. So they they turn Hood into Rose and Crowder. And they're planning to waive Rose, I think. Well, they turn Hood and Joe Johnson to Rose and Crowder, and yeah, they're going to waive Rose. So basically, as uninspiring as Jay Crowder has been, 
He was the return for Rodney Hood and Joe Johnson. Yeah. And we think of the Jazz as a smart organization. They drafted Gordon Hayward. They drafted Donovan Mitchell. They hired Quinn Snyder. You know, on and on and on. What? Defend this move. Well, I think that what, what that has to be is somewhat of an indictment of Rodney Hood and Iso Joe. Like, I, I, I think that... Um, here, I'm, I'm pulling up their cap right now because I want to look at it. But, like, basically, I think that if Rodney Hood, if there was any sort of belief in the organization that, like, Rodney Hood can be a starter on our team that's contending when Donovan Mitchell is hitting his peak, they would have kept him. I think that they're, where they're at has to be, like, there's no way, um, there's no way we can even come close with this guy. Or at least, like, he, he, he can't be a really competitive player. Okay, so I'm looking right now at, at their at their cap story. Uh, Gobert is locked up and for the long foreseeable future at a very big deal. Rubio is in next year at 15. Ingles is in for a long time, but the deal is going to go down for a while. Um, and he's only making around 11 to 12. Favors is done at the end of the year. Um, Alec Burks is back for another year. And Jay Crowder's cap controlled. Seth is back at a very reasonable number. Jarebko's back at a reasonable number. Um, Dante Exum is done, but they could bring him back, and no one's going to probably can contribute big money to him. So, basically what I'm seeing on this team is there will be a huge amount of cap space after next season. So, like, basically after next season, on the books, they'll have Gobert, Ingles, Crowder, Donovan Mitchell at 3.6. Yeah, they still have another couple years of Mitchell at that cheap rate. Yeah, plus they've got um, Royce O'Neal, who I don't think is terrible, um, and Tony Bradley, who I don't think is terrible and could be bench guys. So basically, that's a huge amount of, of cap space to play with. And I think that, like, the real long-term plan here is, like, they can they can round out the roster this, this coming season where, like, you know, so, like, it'll be Donovan Mitchell's sophomore season. They can find some, like, complementary pieces with really an eye towards the following summer when they can, like, add a big-time guy to come play with Donovan as they go chase a ring. I think that that's what this move is all about. Because, like, Rodney Hood probably is going to cost a shitload of money. Um, or, you know, not, like, a, a true shitload of money, but enough that it would be, you know, a challenge. And I think that Joe Johnson, I think that part of that was price of doing business, but also part of that was um, this guy is way, 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 way over the hill, and he kind of wanted out. Yeah. So. I mean, I, th- I think the Joe Johnson piece was that Sacramento was worried they didn't have enough washed-up guys on their team with George Hill leaving. <laughs> so they were like, you know what? Let's let's get Joe Johnson in here. He can hang out with Zach Randolph. Um, yeah. I, so one of my takes that has aged like a fine wine, <laughs> the smart teams went out and got winks. Um, because as we've seen, you know, obviously the stars are stars and they're awesome no matter what, if what their context is, but... In an environment where, you know, little guys are hunted on defense and big guys are hunted on defense, wings that can just kind of exist on the perimeter of your really good players, hit open shots, defend, are really valuable. And Jay Crowder 
in Boston got that reputation, and it was fair for like five months, and then it just really wasn't. And I think what happened is the Jazz. I mean, they've they have to have seen how bad he's been this year, but that contract is sexy. He has a sexy contract. Jay Crowder is paid six and a half, seven million a year for this year and the next two. Yeah. And exactly. If you're the Jazz, you're not getting. You're not the kind of person that LeBron or Paul George or anyone visits, right? Like no one wants to live in Utah. So you, you to be good, you're gonna have to nail some draft picks, and you're gonna have to kind of build around that stuff. And they have. Um, I think if Gordon Hayward's college coach hadn't turned into one of the three best NBA coaches and been at a destination, they would have kept Gordon Hayward. Um, but they totally nailed it again with Mitchell. And you can kind of see the wheels turning here for them, right? They've got Gobert. They're going to dump Favors the second they can. They've got and Mitchell. expires, too. So, like, they don't, they don't have to re-sign him. Right. They're, he's off of their long-term plans. So they're going to build around Mitchell and Gobert. And I think if you're doing that, you want to get as good as possible to lure a third player. It won't be that A-list guy, but maybe it's a B-list guy. You know, they're, they'll never get Paul George to look at them, but... Maybe Avery Bradley signs. And I think the thing with Crowder is he's solid, he's cheap, he fills a need. You don't have to go pay Rodney Hood $15 million a year because you're worried you'll be starting Raul Neto otherwise because you can just stick Jay Crowder there for seven and not think about it. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, here's, and here's the thing, too. Like I'm just taking a look at some of the 2020 guys who they can be swinging at. Um I think Chris Middleton would be a very reasonable target for them. He'll be like 28. Um, and, I mean, the big the big prizes of the 2020 year are um, Kyrie and Kawhi, who are going to be like 27, 28 each. Kawhi's, uh, Kyrie's not going anywhere, and Kawhi is, I know. Kawhi is either going to a big market or staying in San Antonio. Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. But, like, I think that right now, there's this very weird situation where nobody has cap space. And I think that, like, we don't, like, in 2020, that's when a lot of these awful contracts are coming off the books. But I do think that, like, being in this position where you can say, like, we've got a team that's ready to contend and we've got the money to open the checkbook, like, that's compelling. Right. All right. Um, let's, uh... That's, that's my jazz defense. There you go. Yeah. I agree. Um, let's. Um, I'm really excited. I don't have to watch him on Shumpert in the finals again. He's so bad at basketball. He's he's awful. Man. Um, let's talk. I don't want this to run too long. Let's talk uh, a little bit. Just kind of like bop around to some other stuff really quickly. Um, okay. I feel like we should mention what the Bulls did. Yeah. They, after trading Nikola Miritich and opening up the four spot, they went out and signed another guy, Noah Vonley, or traded for. Uh, another guy who can't play the three or the five and is just a, a born and bred four. And, like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because no one else in the league is upset by this. Like, even, like, like, the Zach Lowe's of the world who are supposed to be, like, super educated are like, hey, they get a look at a 22-year-old guy. It's a good deal. It's like, it's like <laughs> that what? That sounds exactly like his voice, to be honest. <laughs> Thank you. It's like, what? It's like... This is another like another four. Like Markinen is a four. Bobby Portis is a four. Paul Zipser, who gave them some good minutes while other people were out, he should be playing the four. He's six nine and slow. He should not be a three. 
And I, okay. Oh! <laughs> and Vonley sucks! He's been on, like, three teams! I mean, I get the, like, I'm fine with taking looks at guys, but why are you taking a look at another power forward? Watch the White Sox ball out with like seven million higher offer than anyone else for some like Japanese baseball star. Because that's that's like the the joke about Jerry is that he just siphons money from the Bulls and pours it into the White Sox because he cares more about them. Yeah, it's it's insane. Uh. So here's here's the thing with Noah Vonley. So they they got this cash back, which I'm you know like obviously long slow clap for that one, but um, <laughs> like he's he's expiring at the end of this season. So it's not like it actually means anything long term or short or even really short term. Um, I think that so like you saw what they traded. They traded a, the rights to a 32 year old player in a Swiss league. But like to some extent, it is free money and a free look at um, a player who, in all likelihood, is going to wash out of the league. But you know, maybe there's like a three percent chance he's a he's an interesting piece to bring back a very very team friendly deal um but just like looking at their cap right now like they next year they've got rolo at 15 mil they've got ashik at 11 and then they're gonna have him at 11 the year after that which is oh my god i'm fine with that 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 was the price of getting like the 12th pick in the draft i'm totally cool with that it was that miritich I'm I'm I am happy to pay Asic eleven million dollars to sit on the bench while we suck and have a cheap team for a pick. Yeah, no, you're you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and then there's Felicio um, at eight point five, Justin Holiday at four point three, Chris Dunn. We've got two more years of Chris Dunn at a good rate. We've got three more years of Markin at a good rate. Vonley fires. Levine is going to get re-signed. Probably to a big deal. Um, we've got campaign at a, at three point two. We got Valentine for two more years at a good rate. Um, Tony Allen expires. Jerry and Grant we have at two point five. Portis we have at two point five, and Zipster we have for two more years at a great deal. And then our personal favorite, David Wumbo, is expiring. He's at a minimum, but maybe they bring him back. I, I this is all about the guy we draft in the upcoming draft the guy we get with the Pelicans pick, and building them, Markinen, Dunn, and Levine, and seeing which pasta sticks. Yeah. Markinen looks foundational. I mean, you're, you're right. I'm probably being too harsh on the... On the I'm going to totally jump away. I'm probably being too harsh on the Vonley thing because they literally just got free money. Um, I... Yeah. I mean, it... I just don't understand why they are so committed to taking minutes away from other people at power forward. Like, I'd rather Vonley never see the floor and we get to see all the guys we already have power forward. I've seen plenty of Vonley. I don't need to see more of him. Yeah. I mean, I think 
sending Rolo out of town for like a second round pick and, you know, just moving Markin into the five or playing a lot of Felicio and, and just seeing, you know, and just let, let the chips fall if yeah. they may. Lopez, it feels like Lopez will go somewhere. I think, especially around uh, free agency, like he's got a pretty reasonable contract for a center, all things considered. He's paid like six million less than Jan Mahindi and Bismack Biombo, despite being twice as good as those guys. So, yeah. you know, I, the problem is no one ever wants or needs a center, but, you know, if DeAndre Jordan is insisting on too high of a deal and someone wants to sign him, they can be like, look, fuck it, if we give, you know, the Bulls this crappy, you know, this crappy guy in a second rounder, we can get him. Yeah. Also, something to think about, too, is that next year, like a $15 million expiring might be very, very useful in the trade market. That's true, actually. Maybe we just hang on to him as an expiring. Expirings, you're right. They're going to be very useful as teams have no cap space. Yeah. And also, like, we could totally do one more move where, like, we're taking on a Jan Mahindi, um, you know, puke. But, um... I want to fleece the Knicks for Noah. That's what I want to do. (laughs) Yeah, that would actually be kind of funny and also kind of poetic if we traded Rolo back to the Knicks for Noah. (laughs) Give us a first round pick. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great. (laughs) Yeah, I think... That that could be a thing. We wait until, um... We wait until the Knicks start off, you know... Although Porzingis being hurt, they probably won't be good, but... Yeah. Yeah. It's... My concern, they're doing all the right things. Like, I'll actually defend what Garpax have done in the situation. You know, they actually got good return in the Jimmy Butler trade. They drafted really well. They're selling off people. They didn't get seduced by Miritich. They sent him. They're just, they're still have this problem where they just, they, they're asset collectors and they don't understand that there's only so many minutes we can give guys in their right positions. Yeah. I mean, how, like, how much damage did it do to Miritich's development to play him at the three for a year? It was ridiculous. Yeah, unconscionable. Uh, all right, I I think we've uh, we've hit what we need to hit in this pod. Do you? Uh, we don't need to talk about the crappy little James Ennis deals of the league. What, do you have any other thoughts? Uh, um, you know, Moody is going to the Knicks. I I kind of wonder, like. And, and Moutier is an interesting little case study because it's part of, um, I think that he, he's an important point. And, like, you and I have gone back and forth on the question of, like, college or overseas development. And I think that the essence, the crux of my, of my argument about this is that there's yet to be a very successful story of an American player going overseas, coming back and being excellent. Uh, keep an eye on Terrence Ferguson. I like him. Okay. But, um, but so Moutier, like, I think there's a case to be made that he came into the league too, too raw and, you know, couldn't really hang in Denver with what they were doing. And it was so clear that between, you know, Murray, Harris, and Barton that, like, they would never need to play him because everybody else is just so much better. I kind of wonder if, um, if, like, there's a world where, Moutier develops into, you know, a decent NBA player. Like, I mean, he can't shoot, which is kind of a problem. But, like, you know, he's a big athletic point guard who I don't think, you know, 
is terrible. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how this story ends up. Like, I, I think unless either Nicotina or Moutier can learn to shoot, um, they can't play together, which is a problem. But I do, I do like the idea of the Knicks kind of taking a flyer on that, and all they had to send out the door was Doug McDermott. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't care about Doug McDermott. He's he's salary matching material at this point. I mean, they, it's a similar thing with Vonley, right? Like they're trying to develop, or they should be trying to develop until Akina. But Hornacek knows his job is on the line this year, and he needs to look competent. So he's playing guys he thinks are slightly better than Frank Nicotina now, instead of actually developing him. So Jared Jack's getting thirty minutes a game, and then you add Moutier into the mix. You're right. I I think it'd be really weird to play them together. You your offense would just suck off the bat. How does that help, right? Like, if you're the organization, your goal is to develop and evaluate and tell Kina, now that Porzingis is out, that's the primary goal. Suck and develop. And it just doesn't... I don't see how adding Moutier, who, again, we've watched for three years, in the situation helps. To your point, like, I I don't think he's a good example for saying, like, the international stuff messes people up because Moutier's whole thing is he, like, really can't shoot. And because he really can't shoot... People play off him and muck up his passing lanes, and it detracts from the fact that he, you know, is an okay, pretty good athlete. Um, I don't see how playing in China over playing for, I don't know, Shaka Smart at Texas is. I don't see how that changes that. Like, I don't think he was getting less shots up. You know, I just don't think he's that good. Where your argument makes more sense to me is someone like Brandon Jennings, right? who had talent but horrible habits, and you wonder if some, you know, disciplinarian college coach would be like, you're running a suicide if you shoot from 30 off the dribble. Uh, You wonder (laughs) if that, you know, has some sort of osmosis on him that's positive. Uh, I mean, Brandon Jennings had moments pre-Achilles tear. But yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's my thought on that deal. like, I support teams taking a flyer on him. Like, if I'm... I don't know. I mean, if I'm a crappy team, I want him there, but I don't want him taking developmental minutes away from the guys I'm trying to evaluate who I haven't seen for three years. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, here's, here's the thing, though. Um, next year, they're capped to hell. Cantor is, uh, is at eight, 18. Noah's at 18. Tim Hardaway. And this is... This is like the, the cream of the crop, like the biggest what the fuck, what the fuck. At seventeen, uh, for like it's gonna like they've got they've got Tim Hardaway at seventeen to eighteen for the next three years. At least he's a guard um, though. They're gonna pay Canner, Noah, and Porzingis all eighteen million plus and they're all centers. Yeah. Well so that that's fucked up. But like <laughs> next year they next year they're capped to hell. The year after that, if they can't get rid of Noah, they're still going to be kept to hell because Porzingis is going to be on the max that year. Um, but, like, if Moutier, who's only 21, if Moutier can be a competent NBA backup point guard who they can re-sign after next year for a reasonable deal, I think that that's a decent piece of a team when they're talking about their real window, which is 20 which is three seasons away now um, because that's when Porzingis will be 25. Nicotina will be 22, actually. Um, 
and then Noah will be off the books and they can actually afford to go get somebody. And hopefully they'll have two more excellent draft choices because they suck so bad. But um, this is this is sort of my, my feeling about about how to play this game of like we're really aiming for cap space when our guys are developing or when our guys are good is that you also like the other piece of that is that you can't just show up to that year with like your really good guys um, hitting their max deals. You also need to have guys who have been re-signed at team-friendly deals. Like that's the essence of, of how you do this shit. Yeah. And like, I think that that's what this is. Is it's an effort to find who's going to be a reasonable six, seven, eight man off the bench in twenty twenty one. Maybe it's Moody, and maybe it's not. But I think that you know that's one of those uh, shots you need to shoot. You're very right, and. To me, like, first of all, Hinky deserves a statue because (laughs) right now the Sixers have, they have two superstars in their roster. And because they sucked for so long and those guys are so young, their cap is wide open. Like, they have both two of the best young players in the league, period, and this, you know, humongous allotment of cap space that they they can do exactly what you said. They can time it up. They can wait right before those guys sign the max. They can go get a bunch of free agents with cap space, pay them a ton of money, and then raise their own guys however much they want. Um, and they've been hoarding money while they sucked, so they should have some stuff in the reserves to be good. Um, yeah. It's funny, though. You look at everything that's wrong with that roster. Markel Fultz is a terrible pick. They also lost a pick to go up and get him instead of just taking Tatum. Um, yeah. Everything Brian Colangelo did basically was stupid, but yeah. <laughs> Hinky set them up so well, it doesn't matter. Like, even if Fultz never played, like, it's Anthony Bennett, and he's out of the league next year. Yeah. They're still one of the three most desirable places to, you know, play. Yeah. And, you know, could, you, could you imagine, though, Hinky getting the phone call from Boston? Like, hey, you know, would you like to move up to the number one pick? Uh, in exchange for that Lakers thing you're stashing? They'd say, he, he'd say, no, you want Tatum anyway, and if you don't take Tatum, I'll take him at three. <laughs> like, he'd yeah. laugh him off the phone. Exactly. He, he, he would probably, like, like, I can't even think of what he would do. He'd probably send him back, like, a picture of his ass or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, that, and that's the difference between a GM, you know, who's, like, truly playing multidimensional chess, and somebody like Colangelo, who's stuck in 1998, like, it's just like you, you don't, um, you don't sacrifice, like, big-time assets to, like, go up um, two spots in the draft. Colangelo's like, hmm, we have a shooting five and this weird Ben Simmons four guy and Dario Saric. I'm going to sign Amir Johnson. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's such garbage. Yeah, I think, I, I, think that I, I, I really feel bad that like Hinky didn't get to see that process out. I history is going to look so favorably on his performance, and he he will get another GM look. I'm I'm pretty confident if he wants it. Um, God, I hope it's. And nice. what's what's underrated about him? Everyone's like, well, why would you want to hire him? He'll just blow your team up. It's like no. That was the best move in Philly's situation. Like, if you gave him the Timberwolves, he wouldn't nuke that team. He would, he would build around Towns, Wiggins, and Butler. Yeah. 
he might punt on Wiggins, but like it's not just like his one speed is nuke things. Like he actually is like a very thoughtful guy and realized this is the best way for Philly to win a title. Yeah. Um, he's, he's good, and if they don't send him a ring, if they win, it would be criminal. Well, there's no way Colangelo would do that. Colangelo's yeah, the yeah. worst. <laughs> he has a rich history of just being the worst. Yeah. Um, all right, we, we should jump. Okay. All right, this was fun. Yeah, this was real good. Much love. Thanks uh, for coming I, on. I like, I like recording emergency podcasts. <laughs> well, uh, I want to get Ben and you on one together. Maybe we'll do that. Well, I guess we're going to be away, but maybe we can do it midweek next week or something. I don't know. Yeah, possibly. We also need to do, although I don't know if we can get Danny, but we should do a podcast where we review our preseason bets, and I have a 10-minute pouring one out for the Grizzlies, and we we reminisce <laughs> about how fun it was when Danny's Giannis and Tatum bets were going to hit. Yeah. Which, eh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I think I might lose my whole budget. I haven't looked at it yet, but I might go over. Good. I think, I think I'm actually looking pretty good. I, I can't remember a bet I advocated that worked. <laughs> <laughs> I also put all my money on the Grizzlies. Yeah, that was, that was pretty wild. And that is, honestly, that was sort of a, a similar thing to what Danny did, which was he put, like, all of his money on Giannis to win the MVP. Yeah. Which is pretty wild. It's just, it's got to be Harden at this point, though. Yeah. If Harden has, really if has Harden misses 25 games, even if Harden sucks, he'll still get it. If Harden misses, like, most of the rest of the year, Giannis, I think, is the second. Because Le- the Cavs have sucked too much for LeBron to get it. Mm. Um, anyway. All right, let's let's hang this one up. Much love. Okay, you too. Peace. Bye. Bye. So that does it for my podcast uh, with Nick on the NBA trade deadline. We mostly talked the the series of Cavs deals. Um, we didn't mention Wade getting sent out too much, but I mean, it just felt right. <laughs> um, yeah, so that, that does it. Uh, check out, I wrote an article. Um, I posted it on Facebook. I hope people saw it at my site, Course Words, um, where I compare LeBron and Steph Curry together, and I kind of look at how both are, you know, David and both are Goliath, both are underdogs and both are heavy favorites um, throughout their career and simultaneously. And it's, I think it's an interesting, like, way to frame their rivalry as just such different superstars. Um, so anyway, check that one out. Uh, I'm pretty proud of it. I think it was a good article. Uh, and definitely check out um, future pods coming up. Got the uh, the Brandon Daly Boy on a Hill pod coming out soon. If you haven't listened to that album, you definitely should. It's awesome. Um, we'll try and get some more NBA stuff up. All right. Take care. <laughs>